All right. Well, it is good to be back. They're saying vacations are nice, but it's also nice to get back into uh, the routine. It's kind of funny. I didn't realize how much of a, of, of a person of routine and schedule I actually am. I, it's actually one of my wife is at home right now with the, with the kids, but there's a, a, um, one of two things that, that, that we have a tendency to have a little com- confliction on in, in the household. Uh, one is, you know, perceptions of, uh, of, of money. Um, and the other, which is probably bigger, is schedules. Like, if I get overscheduled, I, I bug out. I'm like, I, I feel claustrophobic. Is probably the best way to explain it. But then you're on vacation and there's no schedule. And it's weird. It's like, I yearn for my schedule again. It's, it's really bizarre. Um, but um, why don't we open up to um, John chapter 3. I'm gonna preach, uh, we're going to be... We're going to be actually in quite a few places today. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, get ourselves set up for John chapter 3. Um, and so what I want to do is actually first invite uh, Jamie up. Um, he had, a, a, I guess, a pretty much a, really a prophetic word from the Lord about the days in which we're living. And I want him to just kind of start to sow or rather loosen the soil for today's sermon uh, and then we will um, roll into uh, a little bit of, uh, of, of some of the testimonies out of Clayton and Holly's ministry as well, which I think is going to do that. So yeah, we can keep ourselves set up on the, uh, the healing night um, announcement, and we can just flow from there. I just wanted to quickly uh, share a little testimony from uh, you know, our, our Tuesday night uh, uh, prayer times with, with Todd. We have a meeting outside. It's been amazing. Uh, since since beginning of June, we've been meeting outside. The Lord's grace us every Tuesday with amazing weather. It's been awesome. And so we actually uh, were worshiping outside this past Tuesday. And I saw uh, an ambulance go by. It wasn't all that odd, you know, to see an ambulance go by. Uh, and then, I, But then I saw three police officers come by on, on motorcycles. And that was kind of out of the ordinary. And I'm kind of the weird prophetic guy who thinks those kinds of things aren't accidents. And like it's like, you know, kind of observant of these things, you know. And so, just as I'm pondering this, all of a sudden the Lord, uh, as you just spoke to me, and He said, I'm calling forth the first responders in the Spirit. And He started to speak to me about people who will not shrink back Come on. in troubled times, but the ones who will run right to the front lines of the battle. And so, I, I, I kind of waited for a moment to begin to, to, to speak into this and prophesy. We began to prophesy and sing about this. And just as we do that, another ambulance, or no, it was a fire engine this time, came by. We had all three, we had police, ambulance, fire engine come by in about a span of about 10 or 15 minutes. And it was like, this is what the Lord is saying. He is calling forth a people who are going to be the ones who aren't going to shrink back. They're not going to, you know, the first responders, they're the ones who run to the issues and the trouble. They're the ones who, when the buildings were crumbling in 9-11, they were going towards the buildings instead of away from the buildings. You know, these are the kinds of people that God's calling forth now in the spirit. And I felt like what he was saying is, you know, we're in these, these times of difficulty where death is trying to get its arms around us in every way imaginable. But God's calling forth the people who will speak life. And it's no mistake that we've come into this uh, uh, season. I've many believe prophetically it's a season of the mouth. It's a season of speaking the word of the Lord, right? And so we've come into this season... And we've had COVID, which attacks your lungs. And we've also seen a major you know, thing in our nation that we've been wrestling with. We saw a man pinned to the ground saying, I can't breathe, who was killed. And there's this thing that's trying to steal the breath from our lungs. Come on. 
And so we began to declare on Tuesday night, we just began to pray. We actually took communion together, which we almost never do. Uh, very, I just felt we needed to do that. So we took communion and we said, Lord, we're building an altar. It's an altar of life. And we declare that we are saying we are going to breathe. We are going to live. We are going to walk in the, in the, in the goodness of God. And we're going to run to the front lines. Yeah. Amen. And so I just that, that, that was the word the Lord gave us and yesterday morning. Uh, a friend sent me a, a news article from, uh, from CBS or whatever it was, and it was that overnight, literally overnight, they, they didn't know where it came from. All of a sudden in the morning, at 22nd and, and the Ben Franklin Parkway, there was a mural painted on the, on the street that says, I will breathe. Wow. It appeared overnight on Saturday. Friday night, it wasn't there. Saturday morning, they woke up, it was there. I'm telling you, and I believe God's saying this, things can change like that. Yes. I See, things can change overnight. And so there's a, I just believe the Lord is, is filling our lungs with breath to run to the front lines and say things can stop in an instant. As quickly as things started, as quickly as they can stop. Come on. Amen. Amen. Fire. No, before we hit play on the quick video, let me read this. Luke 6, 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Can I hit play, please? Can you just pause, can you pause it for a second? <laughs> oh, maybe it's not possible. Oh, cool. Because yeah, I know some people have seen some of your eyes because I was kind of uh, lost for, for a moment. What's happening is, which we'll see in a moment, when she gives her testimony, her left ear she can hear out of. She has some trouble out of her left ear. Her right ear is completely deaf. It's been that way since birth. So she, she knows what to do because she can hear out of her left ear, but her right ear is completely deaf. Right? Just so you, so you know what's... What's going on? All right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> 
you come over to here, stand over here. I want you to look into the camera, float me over your elbows by put your fingers in. Okay? And I want you to repeat what I'm saying. Jesus. Come on. We can uh, switch to the, my computer, please. This is the concept that I want to lead into for today, and that is this. Jesus, in the scriptures, is called... It's called Rabbi. And in the first century, the call of a disciple was to become like the rabbi. And so we are believing this Friday, when we get together, we will be able to see signs, wonders, miracles, because that's what Jesus did. And if Jesus did them, and he's our rabbi, and we're his disciples, we are to replicate what our teacher, what our rabbi has done. Amen? And so that is what we are gearing up for. Uh, and so let's open up to John chapter 3, as I said, famous uh, portion of scripture with Nicodemus. And let's now uh, take a look at Jesus as rabbi. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Oh, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then there's the conversation between Nicodemus about being reborn and what it means to pass through water and all of that. All right, in this section right here, we see a couple things that are happening. We see that Jesus is referred to as a rabbi. That's a part of his position, his title, his authority that is on earth is to be that. Now, what accompanies this title is a level of credibility. 
Nicodemus looks at him and says, oh my goodness, no one can do the signs, the wonders, the miracles that you're doing unless God has sent him, right? And so his actions and what he does on planet Earth backs up his position, his title, and his authority. You see, it's like his title needs a backing. His position needs a backing. There needs to be fruit and things that you see that will be done, right? Amen? Now, a powerful thing, which is actually maybe even more powerful than a physical miracle, is right here a declaration. A declaration of what it means to be born again. And sometimes we forget this. The most profound miracle that can transpire a human is being reborn into a new image, into a new creation. I mean, that's greater than any ear being healed. That's greater than any eye being blind. I mean, it is the ultimate eternal miracle. And there's a declaration here of this is what it means to be born again. Now, we take a, a look at some stuff here, right? Um, the last couple weeks, um, there, there has been, unbeknownst to us, a synergy in the spirit in teachings. Okay? And first, you know, I want to thank uh, Pastor uh, Josh for doing everything that he's done when I was uh, away from teaching to running things and everyone else that was acting in a supportive role. I really do appreciate that. Uh, why don't we get, why don't we clap it up for Pastor Josh stepping into that. And uh, Pastor Josh talked two weeks ago about the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, walking out in an appropriate fear of the Lord, which will then push away all of the other carnal fears. Amen. Amen. Great word. Uh, and then uh, last week, own your street, Jonathan Pasquale, we clap it up for Jonathan. Uh, teaching on owning your street, essentially uh, what's go we're going, what we're going for here is the synergy is this, guys. Like, to own your street is to walk out in the authority of your rabbi. Walk out in the authority of your God, right? Uh, and you can only really do that uh, when we have this element of having a holy fear of him, which will put away the fear of, that the world may try to put on you, right? That's really what's going on. So... Luke 6.40, as I read earlier. This is Yeshua, Jesus, speaking. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I'm not sure how many of us are aware of this. One of the primary goals, if not the primary goal, of being a believer one of the primary goals of your Christian walk is for the student to be trained to be like the, the, capital V, capital T, capital R, rabbi. Now it's a shocker. Christian walk is not just like getting saved. It's not just like, what can you give me and what can I do to make my life better? The, the ultimate goal is essentially to replicate in a sense, who and what Jesus did on earth through us, right? Yeah. I'm just going to be real with you. Any other gospel and any other Christianity that is being spoken and is being taught outside of that is simply not the gospel. It's simply a self-help guide. Yeah, 
If your preacher, if your church is not telling you what it means to die to the flesh, pick up the cross, being transformed from glory to glory until we meet him face to face, it's not Christianity. Let's go listen to Tony Robbins, you know, the self-help guru. Right? This is the call of a disciple. Hmm. So, bringing some of this stuff together here, you know, um, how, do we, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we make this kind of goal of our life to, to be molded like our rabbi, our God, our Savior? Well, I think it's, it's really the coming together of these things. One, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that you are imperfectly perfect, and that's awesome. You're allowed to make mistakes. You don't have to have so much order and control over things. You need to step a little bit more into that place of jazz experience and being able to be free and being led by the Spirit. You have to do that. And I think a big part of that is having a holy reverence and fear of the Almighty God in your life. And when we bring these together, you're going to be compelled to walk out in the authority that you have in Him, and you'll own your street. And I feel like this is what the Lord uh, is speaking through three different teachers over the course of four different weeks. Uh, and so let's, let's kind of zero in now. Let's talk about this concept of rabbi, student, rabbi, disciple. All right. So... Let's, let's, let's just, for those of us who are not aware, rabbi. What, what, what does this mean? Okay? A rabbi, a ravi in Hebrew, uh, means teacher. Okay? But it doesn't just mean teacher. Okay? There's, there's a nuance there. It comes from the root word rav, which means a lot of or great. And so when you call someone ravi, you're saying my great one. So when you refer to someone, in our case, Jesus as the rabbi, you're not just saying he's a teacher. He's saying he is your great one. Your perception of him is someone who is great. But what's interesting, right, is that in order to be a rabbi, in order to be a teacher, you need to have students. Yeah. Like you can't just walk around and be like, oh, I'm a rabbi. <laughs> hey, I'm a pastor. If you're not a pastor, you don't, you don't have a flock. Now, you'd be working in ministry, and you could be an evangelist, and you could be all... But you have to have a flock. You have to have students. You have to have disciples. All right. So, in the concept of Jewish thought, particularly in the first century, in order to be a great one, quote-unquote, you need to have disciples. Now, what's a disciple? Not just a student. I have students at high school. They're not disciples. Couple might be. But what I'm getting at here is this. A, the differentiation between a disciple and a student is this. A disciple is a disciplined learner, right? So this is where we're getting this concept of like, you know, discipline, disciple, right? They're together. So I'm just trying to tell you is you could be a Christian and not be a disciple. Wow. But you can't be a disciple and not be a Christian. That's good. Uh, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. But you, you, but you will be a disciple and also a Christian, right? You, 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 look, there's a lot of people who are Christians. A lot of people that are born again. A lot of people that are spirit-filled, but yet they are still not disciples. 
A disciple, a disciplined learner whose primary goal is to be like your great one. Be like your rabbi. Be like Jesus. That's what it's about. Anything else? Just stay home and put on the Tony Robbins Netflix documentary. And read your, you know, how to influence, seven habits to influence people and all that kind of stuff. Like, you can just do, like, self-help stuff. That's good, bro. This is what it's about, man. This is the call of Jesus. And so I want to, I like, slow things down a little bit and, and take a look uh, at the first century and uh, what it looked like um, to become a disciple. Lord, we just pray peace. No, and I don't mean that in a joking way. Like, seriously, I mean, man, those of us, right, you know, you, you hear your young one crying like that. Lord, we just pray peace over them. Whatever is uh, ailing Camden right now, it's, we just pray it's got to go in Jesus' name. Come on. Comfort, peace, Prince of Peace to reign. Amen. No. Oh, oh, work. He's crying out to be a disciple, that's all. Mouth of babes. All right. First century disciple process to be a disciple. All right. So part of this is, is still, still around in the uh, religious communities uh, in Judaism. The, the ultra-Orthodox would kind of patent themselves a little bit off of this. But there's a little bit more broad-reaching uh, in the times of Jesus, particularly uh, in the Galilee. What we know is up in the Galilee, there was a lot of religious zealots. I actually thought Jerusalem was too profane. They kind of went up to Galilee to like be legit with the Lord. It would kind of be like a, for us, it would be like some kind of like a hardcore Christian that's like, I want to live off the grid and be away from everyone. Like that's kind of what the Galilee was like, okay, in some regards. Oh, some ideas here. Sorry, I'm just dreaming with the Lord for a moment. Amen. All right. So the way it works, uh, about age five, can you believe this? At age five, when our kids are watching VeggieTales, a first century Jewish male, particularly, would be studying the Bible, like the scriptures. They would be learning large portions of it by heart, by memory. Okay? Um, in fact, the first exposure to all of this uh, would be uh, when you're teaching your child to read, what you do is you would uh, take honey and you would write the Hebrew alphabet in, in, in honey and you would have the child lick each letter so their first taste or their first experience with the word of God would be sweet. Your word is like honey, literally. Like I'm learning the scriptures, you're, you're taking a taste. So your first experience with the word is, is one that is sweet and is good, and is joyous. Age 10, um, those children are showing a level of, of promise with all this, would begin to study the oral law, which is essentially, there's a lot of different types of oral law, but particularly the, the Mishnah, which is, which is really laws dealing with uh, the actual uh, word of God, the, the Bible, interpretations. Right? By age 15, uh, the, the children, the males particularly, uh, really, uh, would be now understanding and discussing the details, the nuance, the arguments of the commentaries on the Word of God, which is essentially the Talmud. 
okay, is what they would now begin to engage in, which is a very, very lively experience. You walk down the streets of Jerusalem in the religious neighborhoods and you just hear people yelling and screaming at each other in many regards, and it's because they're all having a conversation about God's word and how this rabbi says this, but you say this, and blah, 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 and it's very lively. And what's amazing is the next day they're all going to show up together and they're not going to leave the synagogue or the yeshiva because of it. Wait, you can have disagreement? Bill Johnson is right. No, Francis Chan is right. Well, blah, blah, blah. I'm leaving the church now. now in, in, in Jewish thinking, that's what it's about. That's good, Come on. You're always questioning. If you're not questioning, you're not a disciple. Right? All right. Uh, by age 18, you most likely will be getting married. And then, if you're good enough, if you're good enough, you would kind of go into this kind of rabbinical tract, if you will, like this kind of school where you will now learn what it would be like and what it would be to finally be a rabbi. Now, but to be a rabbi, as I said, you need students. And so what happens here is in a traditional way, particularly in the first century, is this. If you've gone this route and you're 18, 17, whatever it may be, even if you're not married, what's going to happen here is you're going to apply to a rabbi school. You're going to see who the best rabbi is in your community, and you're going to apply. And essentially, he will drill you in testing. Right? They, they give you an application of sense. What did you learn? And then there's rigorous testing that takes place. Now, what happens here is you apply, and the rabbi will then see if you're good enough. And if you're good enough then you become a part of this rabbinical school. The ultimate goal of being a rabbi. Now, if you're not good enough, what happens to you? You go and learn your father's craft. So, when you got a bunch of fishermen on a boat fishing, it means they did not make the cut. But underneath the school of Jesus, you don't have to apply. Amen. You don't have to test in. This is the power of why on earth would a bunch of fishermen leave their nets and go? Because a rabbi said to them, come. They didn't have to apply. This rabbi believes in them. And he believes in you. And what's the goal of being a disciple? To be transformed from glory to glory until you become like the rabbi, Jesus. He believes you can do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have called you. All right. Amen? All right, so I've, I've actually kind of like ta taught on some of those kind of concepts before. For those who have been hanging around... Uh, but who here is uh, some of that right there like new? Is that, like, all that was kind of new for you. Okay, cool. The word's getting out. All right, John uh, chapter 14, verse 12, right? And becoming like him. I mean, we, we, you know, this is, this is the call, man. 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. Look at this, man. The call of being a disciple is to be trained to be like him. 
but also to do greater works. And the reason why we can do greater works is because Jesus, the rabbi, is going to the Father and he's going to send the comfort of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Okay? Uh, but of course, uh, there is a, a, a bit of a warning uh, that Jesus is going to bring forth to his disciples, uh, which is, you don't have to turn to it, many of you know it, but I just want to read it for those that are, do not. Matthew 23, verse 8, But you, disciples, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Messiah, and you are all brethren. All right? Okay, what do we have here? He actually tells his disciples, don't call anyone rabbi. There's only one rabbi. There's only one great one. Jesus. Um, this is uh, very important uh, because when you say rabbi, you're saying a great one, you're saying a teacher, you're saying a master. Uh, it's very clear that you're, you're not to do that, um, which is very interesting. goes on to say, call no one father. And I've, I've had this kind of uh, rhetoric before. You know, my official title is reverend. Don't call me that. Don't refer to me as reverend. One who is revered. No, there's one to be revered. Jesus. I like roe or shepherd or pastor, okay? That's, that's, that's more human, right? It's not, I'm not someone to be revered for goodness sake. Please do not revere me, okay? Holy cow, I don't want that responsibility. Right? But call no one rabbi. Call no one the great one. But at the same time, uh, there is a, a rabbinical teaching uh, at the times of Jesus, which many of you are aware of, uh, that you are to be covered, or may you be covered, in the dust of your rabbi. What this means here is the call of a disciple was, in fact, to walk so closely with Jesus that the dust from his sandals and the dust from his walking would come upon you. It's like you are with him 24-7. You're annoying him. You're together. That's another reason why I don't want to be called rabbi. I don't want you annoying me 24-7. But in this age, this is the way it would work. You would, you, the, the call would be to become morphed into, like the rabbi, you would have to cover yourself from the dust of his sandals, if you will. Which has been a popular teaching that's, that's gone around, but it's, it's a 2,000-year-old teaching. You want to be like your rabbi, you got to cover yourself with his dust. This is why Jesus is like, I'm going to get away to be with my father. Because these guys are on him like all the time. Like nagging him, questioning him, wanting to see what he does. How does he do this? How does he do that? When does he do this? When does he put on his sandal? When does he not put on his sandal? Like real legitimate, like I want to be a carbon copy of this guy. I want to copy everything he does. Everything he eats, everything he wears, every way he walks, every gesture, everything I need to be like my rabbi if I'm going to be a rabbi. That is the context of Jesus saying, you are my disciples. All right. So the big question here is this. If you look at your life, whose dust will you see? Right? When you look at your life, whose dust do you see upon your person? Ah, this is the way it works. Anyone or anything that you look to, anyone or anything that you look to, church, ministry, whatever, anyone or anything that you look to that surpasses 
in your mind and intellect and spirit, the teaching authority of Jesus, that thing and that person is your teacher. It is your rabbi. You can only have one. To anyone and anything that you look to, to, to surpass the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus says and what Jesus calls you to, that thing or person is your teacher, is your ravi, your great one, your rabbi. Guys, this could be media. This could be money. Now let's get sensitive. It could be family. My spouse says this. Well, there's, there's a dynamic there, right? We, we know, right? To prefer one another. But, or my kids this, or my parents this. Media, family, money, pastors. If you put your pastor and what they are teaching above the authority of Jesus and what he says, bad stuff. And of course, another one, uh, which is pretty rampant in the West because of our abundance, uh, is the money, and uh, uh, an outcry of the money would be even uh, food. Yeah. Be something as mundane as food. So the results of, of all this paradigm is actually quite powerful. I mean, Jesus the rabbi is going to set you free. And he empowers you. But the spirit of the age, the carnal mind, uh, is going to uh, put you into chains of fear, anxiety, bondage, and even ultimately paralysis. Uh, paralysis, I, I've never been dead, so I don't know, but I, I'm assuming paralysis, for anyone who's felt like that, that feeling of like can't doing anything, like your hope is broken to such a extent, it, it's almost like it's, it's worse than death in many regards. But this is the way it works. Like Jesus wants to set you free and empower you, but the spirit of age wants to bind you in anything that it can. So one rabbi sets you free, the other rabbi binds you. And so, okay, who is your rabbi? What thing is your teacher? It's very simple. It's very simple. All you got to do is say, and look, you know who your rabbi is by what you become. Right? Whatever it may be. If you become a political pundit all the time, we know who your rabbi is. If you become a fearful, anxious person, we, we know who your rabbi is. Right? If you have bad habits in your life and there are physical effects, we know who your rabbi is. Now, I'm going to be careful here, right? Because you know, these things get sensitive. You know, everyone's got a master. One sets you free by chains of love. The other one keeps you in bondage by different types of chains. Um, look, I, I believe today, and it's probably been around for a while, I think every generation people say this, but I do think today in the days in which we're living in, a significant percentage of, of believers uh, are covering themselves with a strange and profane dust. I, I, I'm not saying a percentage. I'm saying a significant percentage. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, so apparent. It could be the subtleties. Because that's what dust is. 
Dust isn't like a, a big boulder. Dust is a smaller than a grain of sand. All right? Now, what happens here is this. The profane dust is at first an unnoticeably small particle, which inevitably accumulates to produce a veneer that even fools your eye into adopting a profane identity. Now, this is what happens, right? It's just small little dust. It's like that one degree off message. It's just little things. You don't even see it because it's so small. But it accumulates and accumulates. And what's sick here is that it accumulates to such an extent that you still don't see it. Because it's fooled you to make you think that the dust which is profane has now made you profane. Okay? All right. I believe that the days that we are living in today, 2020, is doing a couple things. One, I believe the days that we are living in is, in fact, exposing a lie. A lie by the enemy. What's the lie? The lie is that the profane dust has convinced us that we are all unclean. That's the lie. We're unclean. No, you're not. I have too much dust. No, you don't. I believe that that is the lie that is going forth and it has had dramatic, dramatic effects. Uh, and what I believe the Lord was speaking to me in this for this day and age is this. It has created in the church and in the world a self-imposed leper colony. I want you to, I want this to sit, I want, to, I want you to sit in this for a moment. <clears throat> a self-imposed leprechaun. Amen. Meaning, you create it. Yes. No one else. Just listen. It is a leprechaun, not of lepers, because leprosy has com- almost been completely eradicated from planet Earth, except for one leper colony of six people in Hawaii. And there's quite a few leper colonies in India. It still exists. South America as well. There's a leper colony, not of lepers, but of a spirit of leprosy. I want you to hear this. A spirit of leprosy, which is a spirit of bondage, which is a spirit of bondage physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, in the Old Testament law, the law of God, like if you had leprosy, you were called to go out from the community. You're unclean. Like, leprosy spreads on contact. You are leaving the community, and in a sense, you are in quarantine. Now, today, no one is forcing you into this spiritual leper colony. In in a weird way, we, we put ourselves willingly into these colonies, into these colonies of bondage. And actually grieves the rabbi's heart because the rabbi wants you to be, yes, a son, yes, a daughter, but he wants you to be a bondservant of him and he wants you to be a disciple of him. And so it really actually grieves his heart. And so I want to take a look at some of the forms. There's lots of forms of this self-imposed leprosy. I want to look at a couple, right? And what do you mean a leprechaun? Look, misery loves company. If you're a fearful, anxious person, you're going to hang out in a colony of people that are... If you're making unhealthy, health, unhealthy life decisions, like your physical being, 
your physical body, you are going to hang out with people that are like-minded. It is like a paradigm. Birds of a feather flock together and disciples flock together, right? It is what happens. And so the misery, misery loves company. They like being around people that want to share in the misery. All right. First leper colony. Like I said, there's lots of them. Anger. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. They all like to flock together and gossip about everyone. And... They're now in a colony. In a bondage of sea. Or a bondage in, in a sea of hate and spite. No one puts you there. Put yourself there. Next one, greed. Greed enclosed in a colony of the ivory tower of the country club. Always trying to get out of the colony through the use of money. But the chains of bondage just simply grow stronger, don't they? You always need more. And more. And more. And more. Probably the most sensitive one. Uh, gluttony. Enslaved by the euphoria of the taste bud. Bring in a momentary comfort, but long-term misery. And a dependency on the chains one is wanting to break. Last one. And like I said, there's many more. Anxiety and restlessness. And I wanted to add on this one because this is a colony that I've essentially put myself in many times. Anxiety seems to run its, its cord or its thread through my family and restlessness. Think about, wow, oh, you break it in Jesus' name. Amen. But sometimes when you break it, you've got to walk it out, right? Sometimes you have to walk it out a bit. Look, uh, it's been a while, praise the Lord, so I'm walking it out. But uh, there have been times I've woken up in the middle of the night in cold sweat. Anxious, restless. Like, I got to do something, but there's nothing to be done. But it just, just, like, no, there's something that has to be done right now. No, there isn't. But this yearning that I have to do something, right? And you can blame it on a whole bunch of things. You can blame it on the coffee. You can blame it on the German heritage. You can blame it on the, the, the DNA strand that's gone thousands of years. I don't know. But there's this, a feeling that something has to get done. No, it doesn't, Dave. And so I, I want to I share that with you because... I have struggled with that, and so maybe some of you have struggled with things. And so I want to be transparent with you, like, look, man, this is not like me in, an, in a spiritual ivory tower, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Look, I, I've struggled with that, okay? Now, here's the, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Don't be mad at me, because I, I struggle with one of them. I just told you, right? Did I, did I not just say that? Okay. I, I said that, right? I'm not to be revered. Remember that. <laughs> Amen. Here's the thing. You can be one or all of these things and all the other things that we could put up there. You can be one or all of these things and be saved. You can be one in all of these things and be a son or daughter. But you cannot be any of these and be a disciple of Jesus. Was Jesus angry? No. Was Jesus greedy? No. Was Jesus gluttonous? No. Was Jesus full of anxiety and restlessness? No. Wow. To be a disciple is to be like your rabbi. Come on, man. Come on, man. 
And so this is the culminating sermon on rediscovering Jesus. Do we actually want to be a disciple? Now here's the thing. We're working, right? Or hopefully we're, we're being molded. It's a, a process, right? We know that it's a process, but there, there's, there needs to be some teaching on, on these things because look, man, like we put ourselves into these self-imposed leprechauns and we hang out there and we camp there and we think that that's now your destiny to just stay and remain. No, because in the Old Testament, you are to remain, but in the New Testament, Jesus says, bring the lepers to me and let them be healed. Let me touch the unclean. Let me touch those that are in quarantine. And let them be healed. Amen? Okay. How are we doing? Good? So here's the hard one. Now call up some brothers. Pray for me. Why I'm, I'm got a little more bags on my eyes than usual. I was just up last night, just praying and interceding, like Lord, let this fall on fertile ground. There's another leper colony, largely self-imposed. I have purposely been relatively quiet about COVID nineteen. I've been hoping. And praying, that thing is just going to go. And prophetic people are like, it's going to go by Easter. Then it's going to go by Passover. And now I don't know what they're saying. And has it gone? Maybe it is already gone. Yeah, maybe. And who knows, right? But here's the thing. I purposely just been like, all right, you know, I get it. You know, one week we, we, we don't come to church. Okay. Not the biggest deal. After three, four weeks, it's like, ah, Bro. Four months of this going on, pushing five, maybe it's six. I, and I just want to encourage you with this, uh, particularly those that are watching. If the grace of the Lord does not remove this, you need to understand the Spanish flu of 1919 lasted three years. Are you and I going to continue with this lifestyle for three years? With all due respect, and I want to say this lovingly, and please, if you're on, don't shut it off now because you're not going to get the resolution. You should think I'm being judgmental. We have to finish it out. Will you be willing to stay away from church for three years? I get a couple weeks. We're all trying to navigate. We're all trying to figure this out. Spanish flu, three years. All right, well, look, uh, how, how do we fit this into this whole thing? Okay, well, I, I think in a way, it's kind of like a, a leper colony. I mean, I was even sharing with my wife. She's like, wow, I actually do feel like a leper. I can't go out, can't do this, right? There's a spirit that's on this. Like, you have to understand that we wage our battle not against flesh and blood. Virus is flesh, right? It's, it's an organism. We wrestle against principalities and spirits. And, and this coronavirus has has. A mantle on earth has fallen. So, what would Jesus do? Come on. What would his disciples do? 
Well, I, I think this is what we have to ask. I mean, this is, we, we need to ask these questions, guys. I wasn't asking them three weeks into this, right? It's like, ah, it's going to go. It's like a couple bad snowstorms in the winter, right? Like, no one's freaking out like, don't go to church when there's a bad snowstorm outside. Hey, it's the snowstorm. You don't drive right now. It's kind of dangerous. But when this lasts, it's like, man, get the snowblowers out, you know? You know what I mean? Like, I bet the Hendrickson's got a plow. I know you have a plow. You got to have a plow, right? All right, some, some, please, and those that are watching, I, I really just encourage you to, 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 to just hunker down. If, if, you're, if, if there's a level of offense that's going on, we, we need to fill out the story so we understand what's going on. All right, first question. As disciples... If you really want to be like Jesus, if you're really taking this call to be a disciple and what that means, there are questions that we have to ask. One question is this. How long will we wait while this virus clearly disrupts ministry and church life? How how long are we going to wait? A week? A month? Two months? Four months? A year? Two years? A decade? You have to ask, like, what, where's the, where, where was the line in the sand? When you say, enough. When there's a vaccine. Oh, okay. What would Jesus do during this time? If he was alive right now, what on earth would he do? Seriously. And what would he have his disciples do? Bear with me, a little bit more to go. But I, this, this, is, this is a word that, like, I, I, like it needs, it, we need to get through this, right? We, our, our generation, is, our, my generation has never seen anything like this, right? And so we need to have sound doctrine and biblical teaching and evaluations of what's going on in the midst of uncertainty. And let's be honest, in the midst of a lot of sensitivity, there might be more division in the church over mask, no mask, church, no church, than even uh, the racial uh, uh, injustices that have been taking place. I don't know. It's, it might even be on equal footing on the perceptions of how to perceive these things, right? Yeah. These, are, these are heightened times. So we're just going to dig in. So I'm going to ask you to dig in a little bit. And I haven't preached in two weeks, so, you know, I've got to get, get it out. <laughs> it's a hard word, man. You're like a vacation. You know, I'm just sitting by the pool. Nah, I'm wrestling and stuff. All right, here we go. I'm just, we're going to... Everyone, we're just going to throw everyone under the bus. It's best to just throw everyone under the bus. Right? Let's just, let's just do it. Right? There are three different types of people in the church right now in regarding coronavirus. Right? The first group is the government people. Right? There's a government political motivation behind this. Right? It's to disrupt the election. Uh, it's to usher in uh, whether it's a cashless society or uh, to have a vaccine with, with chips and Bill Gates is in on it and all this kind of, Like, there's some type of government motivation. Or maybe it's not so far flush as conspiracy theory, but it's like, oh, politicians, like, they never, the old saying is, right, a, a politician or the government never, never what? Um, yeah, never allows a crisis to go to waste, right? There's always people that are climbing for the power. And that's just politics. Let's talk about the spiritual politics of things. You're telling me that the enemy of our souls is not like, let's do a paragraph now. Yeah. Right? But no, I, I think there's, there's legitimacy in, in, in some of that in the spirit. But right, we have people who are like, this is just this being prolonged because of government things. Okay. Okay. Another group of people. My faith in Jesus will protect me, people. 
largely people that are sitting here right now. Largely like we're in that group, right? And then one as well. Three, I have faith, but I want to use wisdom and discretion people. Okay. Largely, these are the three types of people that are here. Okay. Now, in a joking sense, did any pastor or apostle in the first century have to navigate such complexities? It's like, yeah, kind of. Romans 14. Let's turn. Romans 14, verse 14. Paul speaking. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Actually, uh, let's go back to now verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Don't be disputing silly things. Don't be disputing and having conflict over silly things. Don't do it. But, 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 Paul the Apostle. Don't do it. Okay? For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. What's going on here? It's like a first century coronavirus mask, no mask, stay at home or come to church business. But it's not masks. It's over largely food sacrifice to idols. A portion of the church is going to say, Psh, no way am I eating food that has been sacrificed to idols is profane. And in the book of Acts, it says, do not eat food, sacrifice idols, actually. But Paul is giving clarification here. There's another group that says, yes, I can eat food, sacrifice idols. I can. Because all things have been made clean. Like, just because it's been sacrificed to some pagan god, it's a piece of meat. I don't care. God doesn't care. I personally would rather have our church service on Saturday. Me personally. Because it's the day that the Lord has commanded to have a Sabbath rest. And for me to observe that is to give him honor and homage unto him. 
But you guys in your culture observe the Sabbath day on Sunday because it's the day in which the Lord was raised. I can glory God if I had my service on Saturday because I'm honoring Him in what He said in the book of Genesis and the book of, Ex- uh, and the book of Exodus. And you in your culture could give God glory and make Him hallowed because you choose to worship Him on the day in which the Lord was risen. All things are pure to those who are pure. Okay? Each one can do both options, and it can still be pleasing to the Lord. Shocker! You can come to church and it be pleasing to the Lord right now. Don't hate me for those that are here. You can stay home right now and engage the Lord in worship and it's still pleasing to him. But don't dispute things. Do all things in love. Do all things in love. I celebrate Yom Kippur. I celebrate Pesach. I celebrate Hanukkah. I do all of this, but I don't say you have to do it. I rejoice in the Lord in those things because that's what He has called me in my heart to do. All right. Titus 1. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Ah! So the undefiled one is the one who's placing the judgment and saying that's unpure. You get what I'm saying? The person who's castigating judgment and saying, hey, this, that, and everything about masks, no masks, that's the person. That's unpure or impure. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. To the pure, all things are pure. You could be here wanting to go to church out of an unpure heart. Impure heart, sir. Both of them. Like, you could be here, I just want to do to defy the government. If that's your motivation, that's an impure heart. But those that are home, you can be at home and engaging the Lord and doing it with a pure heart. But there's some people that are home that are engaging the Lord that are doing it with an impure heart. Because you've made fear your master. If you're home right now and you don't have fear, you're pure. But if you're home because you're rattled and shackled with fear, the dominion of of the enemy of our souls, it's impure. But some of us here are impure too. If we're like, oh, I'm just going to do this because, you know, the government can't do this, blah, blah, blah. If that's your motivation, no love in that. Right? There's no love in that. All right. Look, this, this is the tough part. I mean, we have the worship team come on down. Oh, boy. I, I will not feel offended if you got to go. Worship went a little longer, but I just, I just feel like, and which is good, but like, you know, why does church have to be done at two hours? You know I mean? I understand if you have to get going or whatever, but like I just feel this is a timely word, and if you can stink in and get anchor in, it's it's great. I will not be offended. 
Amen. I, as a teacher, I'm held responsible, man. Like, you guys essentially get two judgments. Judgment of, like, sin and death, right? You're saved, you get in. And then judgment of works. I don't know how it's all worked out, but I don't know if there's, like, three rooms. Like, Dave, all right, you're saved, cool. Now let's go to the room of works. And what did you do? Cool. And now the third room. You were a teacher. Guys, for those that are watching and those that are here, and if you're upset, I get it. But I was joking with my wife when I was talking about what I would be teaching on. I have to do this not for you, That's although good. it is for you. I have to do this for me. I get up to the throne room, David, you never took a stance on COVID-19. David, you never took a stance. I know because people are very sensitive about it, but you're a teacher. You're a pastor of a flock. I charge you with that flock. And do not give advice from the word. See, as a teacher, I'm responsible for what I teach, and I'm also responsible for what I don't teach, right? The sin of omission, as the Catholics teach, which we don't really talk about in Protestant circles. But there's a sin of omission. Like, you, you should be doing something, you don't do it. That's heavy stuff, man, for me. My wife told me at this point, which is wise, tone it down. Because <laughs> I don't want it to come out as judgment. Look, oh, we had these conversations. I'm like, I'm, you know, she's like, tone it down. And it's, okay. Thank you, honey. It would be nice for me to teach you how to get rich and how to fill your bellies. Oh, it'd be great. It's not sound doctrine. We need sound doctrine. Why do we need sound doctrine? Come on. Disciples need sound doctrine if they want to be like their rabbi. So what would Jesus do? Well, I think he would take a look at each of these individuals and he would give his advice, his direction. He would give direction to the apostles and the apostles would give direction. They would go to pastors. This is one practical reason why the office of apostles should be really restored in the church. There's a lot of pastors that are looking for direction and they're not getting it. And if you had an office of apostle, they could sit down the, 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 the fine lines of doctrine and things. But, you know, we don't really do that anymore. Which is a shame. Alright, uh, what would the Lord say to the government people? The government is, is doing this. I, I think the Lord and the apostles would give a direction and would say, look, it is good to raise awareness. It is good to raise awareness about your liberties. It's good to wear, aware, raise awareness about, about these things. But I believe the Lord would say unto his disciples, a hyper-focus on it means you're losing focus on bringing forth the gospel and the kingdom of God. Right? If your sole focus is like, your government, government, what's the government doing, and all this. Like, I understand to raise the awareness. I, I, I understand to pray into these things. And but gee golly whiz, guys, like some of us are tired of hearing about your government influence on all of this. Like, we're just tired. I like it, like, to be there as a thing to pray into and think about. But, man, like, can we think about those things which are pure, holy, lovely, pure? Like, bring that. You know, like, if, if some of us, if we spent as much time as we do on the conspiracies... On the gospel, like, there'd be revival on your Facebook wall by now. You know, it's like, so much attention. 
like I said, I think it's important to raise awareness. Absolutely. Because, you know, in 1936, you're in Nazi Germany and no one's talking about the government things that are happening in Nazi Germany. You have to talk about them. But it needs to be talked about through a filter of the gospel. Amen? The Lord says this in Isaiah 8. Verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. For the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. And let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary. So I think that, that would be going on. Guys, right now in California, there's like what, a thousand people got baptized in the ocean? Because people are focusing on that which really matters. Uh, so raise awareness, but look, proclaim the gospel through it, right? Um, two, my faith in Jesus, people. Amen. I'm with you. We're here. But there should be a warning to you. But to the pure, all things are pure. The people that are not here, or the people that are wearing masks, gee golly whiz, people, they're doing it, if not out of fear, they're doing it out of love for people. Like, really? Like, you wear a mask into the grocery store. I know you believe that you can trample on serpents on us, because I get that, but those people that are dying in the hell's fire don't know that. And so by having that on, you're walking out in love. This is why when I'm preaching, I'm worshiping, I'm not wearing a mask. Although if you are wearing a mask, that's totally fine as well. Because to the pure, all things are pure. But when I pray for someone at altar time, I put on the mask. Because maybe that person doesn't feel comfortable coming off of prayer. Can I go a little longer? All right, even if you said no, I would still do it. Because it's very important stuff. Now to the group that I was really seeking as much prayer as I could for, because this is sensitive stuff. I have faith, but I want to use wisdom and discretion, people. Amen. I applaud you for your heart. And I sincerely do. But it's time to come to church. To the pure, all things are pure. I understand. We have people here that are in masks. Now, I'm not a, a doctor, but I do know this. We have an entire multi-purpose room on the side. You literally could come to church, come through the rear entrance, be 25 feet at least from anyone that does not have a mask on. We have an entire small wing that you could spread out 6 feet, 10 feet apart. You can come. And I, as a pastor, I am encouraging you to come. If you have significant health problems, okay, that's, that's, that's a little bit more egregious, and a little bit more sincere, and a little bit more, we have to be a little bit more careful with that, but if you're at home, and you don't come out, and you're like 45, 50, 55 years old, and you have no health problems, I'm going to call it what it is, fear. Big question. Why can't everyone just wear a mask? 
Let's move from practical to spiritual. One, excuse me. One, we have a worship team, which I imagine would be pretty hard to sing in a mask. Okay. Two, we have children. Can I put a mask on a one-year-old? No. But let's be real. That's just practical. Let's talk about spiritual matters. As church leadership, Josh and I believe it's a demonstration of our faith to be here without a mask. There's also a spiritual principle that is happening on planet Earth now, and it's this. We want to be able to sing praises and to declare the word of the Lord without a barrier that has been placed on us by the government. Now you say, well, that's just a physical thing. I know, but physical things teach us spiritual things. And spiritual things teach us physical things. We absolutely need to protect ourselves and the church, the bride of Messiah, from a slippery slope. In California, it is mandated now you must not sing. You have to draw the line at some point. You have to. Peter didn't draw the line. I'm sorry, Peter drew the line to his government and he was crucified upside down. Paul drew a line with his government and he was beheaded. You draw the line. Now, fortunately, in the state of Pennsylvania, we are actually within the confines of the law. Houses of worship are exempt. We're within the confines of the law. We have to understand, guys, that we are not wrestling and fighting with physical viruses. We are fighting against spirits and principalities. And so we stand against that and say, no, when we're here together as a body of Messiah, we shall worship freely. At the same time, for the pure, all things are pure. We have a section that can be for those people. Now, if you don't want to do that because you're, you're afraid of the judgment that's upon you, that's a whole other thing we need to talk about. What would Jesus do? Would he close the synagogue for four months? Would he not allow people to sing? Would he give temperature checks before they came into the, the synagogue? No. He would come in and say, bring the lepers to me. Empty out the colonies. Let me lay hands on them and see them be healed. There's no temperature checks. Look, the scripture says that we can trample on serpents. The scripture says you can pick up a serpent and you'll be bitten and no harm will come to you. But let me tell you this. I was walking down the Appalachian Trail a couple years ago with Jose and I saw the biggest stinking rattlesnake I have ever seen. And guess what? I did not pick it up. I was like... But physically or spiritually, if a rattlesnake is going to impede the functions of the church and the carrying of the gospel. I want to go over and rip its head off and make snake leather boots. That's the difference. 
I don't purposely seek out these scenarios, but I'm not going to allow the serpent to dictate what happens in church. And so fine, guys, look, the sermon is in fact not about COVID. It's not. It's about being made a disciple. And whatever leper colony you're in right now, fear, anger, anxiety, greed, gluttony, a Christian can stay in a leper colony. A disciple cannot. Because when the disciple enters the leper colony in the physical or in the spirit, everyone is transformed. Because that's what Jesus did. The disciple submits all things to the rabbi. All things. Why don't we stand? The disciple submits all things to the rabbi. The mind, the body, the soul. To be a disciple, we need to be willing to be transformed from glory to glory to glory, to glory to, until we see our rabbi, until we see Jesus. And I just want to encourage you with this. Guys, those that are watching, I, 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 there is a difference between, I believe, significant health impairment. That's going to keep you out from the public. And people that are riddled with fear that they're going to get something. There is a difference. And you need to seek wisdom and discernment from the Lord. Now, many people will say, but look, I've always struggled with X. I've always struggled with the fear. Or I've always struggled with the anxiety. Uh, or I've always struggled with the greed or the gluttony or the, 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 the impure thoughts. If you're coming out of that colony and you're working on it, great, you're on the path. Okay? You're on the path. If you're making strides, if you're climbing out step by step, amen, brother, amen, sister. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't made real progress in your Christian walk, if your life has not changed in the last year, if your life has not changed in the last decade, you simply are not being transformed. Yes, you are saved, but just to be real with you, because I have to hold myself accountable before the Lord one day, it's this. You simply haven't taken on the call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We all have disciples. In the 21st century, we simply have new rabbis and we have new teachers. And they come to us with eloquent words, but they do not come to us with a demonstration of power. And I'm telling you right now, the world needs to see disciples again. The world needs to see a demonstration of power again. We need to see a generation of Christians who say, I'm not content with being a Christian. I'm only content in being a disciple and being transformed. And now you're like that vision that Jamie had of going out and being into the trenches and saying, I don't care what evil is around me. Your rod and your staff shall comfort me. Yeah. I want to see revival. I want to see the kingdom of God made manifest. But it's going to come when there are hearts who are saying, I cannot be a widget in the kingdom. I want and I need to be molded into the image of Messiah. It's the only way. That's what he poured out his life for, people. It's, it, that's what it means to rediscover Jesus. To rediscover him and say, I look in your eyes and I want to see a mirror reflection of me. I want to be like you. 
And if, if, if you were here right now, you, you wouldn't be a greedy one. You wouldn't be a gluttonous one. You wouldn't be an angry one. And you wouldn't be huddled in your, in, 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 in your, in your house. You'd be out bringing the kingdom. And so if any of you watching or if any of you that are here, this is pulling on you. This is, this is the first step. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. We in the church and we at Bristol Hope, we need to take this serious. We need to submit to Him. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, there are things in my life that are simply not of a character of a disciple. We humble ourselves. We come before Him. That's the step. He says, come. He says, come. Come on, people. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta drop the nets. You'd be like uh, Elijah, Elisha, I forget, who, who goes back and destroys the ox, destroys the cart. I think it was Elisha, right? Elisha is following Elijah, very rabbinical kind of thing. And what Elisha does is he, he goes back to his material possessions and he burns it all. So he doesn't have a safety net. So he doesn't have a plan B. There's only one plan. To be like my rabbi. To be like Jesus. So that the world will know him and his righteousness and his kingdom. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Rabbi. Amen.